Welcome to Rallon's Rant. Today I'm joined by George Hood. George currently holds the world record for the longest plank at 10 hours and 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Mm. George is also a former Marine and ultra endurance athlete. And that is the first time I've done an introduction, which I feel slightly out of breath after doing okay. so. But, but anyway, George, I hope all is well. And thanks a million for taking time out to come on the show. All is good. My pleasure. Happy to join you. No worries. And thanks again. Um, to start things off, I just want to talk briefly about just where you were born, the time you grew up. Uh, I'm uh, originally from Indiana, Pennsylvania. Um, Pennsylvania. For reference, it's about uh, it's a small town about 50 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. Um, okay. That's where I was born and raised. That's where I went to uh, high school. That's where I went to uh, college. I uh, got my bachelor's degree there. I was commissioned as a Marine Corps officer uh, right out of, uh, of college and uh, went on active duty in uh, about four years. I was an infantry officer stationed at Camp Pendleton, California, and um, got out of the Marine Corps uh, in the spring of 84. I picked up a master's degree along the way in uh, criminalistics, forensic science, and uh, was hired uh, in late 84 as a special agent with the uh, U.S. Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Spent a few years with them, and then I transferred uh, over to uh, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, where I was a special agent uh, with them for the better part of 14, 15 years or so. Uh, was promoted to a supervisory special agent, and I retired um, uh, January 1st, 2008. Okay. And uh, after that, I went. Uh, after that, I did a short gig uh, as a law enforcement uh, uh, professional consultant type advisor um, uh, with the Marine Corps unit uh, over in Afghanistan for about six months and then uh, returned and got in late 09 and got full-time into the fitness industry. Like what are some of the memories you can recall from your early days as a kid growing up and a teenager? Like, is there any memories or any situations that stand out to you? Yeah. Yes, actually, as I reflect on it, um, uh, growing up as a kid, you know, I, I, we, we had a, uh, I was the oldest of uh, four, four kids and, um, you know, uh, Nothing was ever good enough. You know, I grew up. Um, uh, my situation at home wasn't abusive whatsoever, and there are, there are kids out there that were far worse off than than, than me. Uh, I, I was quite uh, blessed with a, a fairly decent uh, childhood growing up, but I was a little bit of a um, a little bit of a wimp, I guess. Um, I wasn't very outgoing, and. Um, it was all I could do to finally land the uh, the lead in the in the, in the ninth grade uh, musical of uh, Charlie Brown in the musical You're a Good Man Charlie Brown. That helped. <laughs> it helped yeah, set the, the stage for what was later to come, I suppose. But uh, no, I always thought I was behind the power curve, and I always felt like I had to, to do more. That nothing was ever good enough, and uh, my parents kept. Uh, insisting why can't you be like the neighbor kids and why can't you be like this guy and, and or this girl and, and do this or that okay 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 so I, I kept achieving so achieving has always been my thing um and that manifested itself later on in my life uh with the setting of uh, uh world records um i've made 15 official attempts and i've been successful on 12 which is a pretty good return i suppose isn't it i think so <laughs> <laughs> and you're saying there how you always wanted to maybe be the best you can possibly be. Yeah. You wanted to kind of spur yourself on to reach certain heights that maybe other people weren't exactly confident that you could. Yeah. And you mentioned previous that you went on to become a Marine. Like, was that an individual decision or was the a member of the family or friends or was it something you took from a film or inspiration? Like, what made you want to become a Marine, a Marine in the first place? Well, I, I struggled with trying to find, you know, what I was going to do when I graduated high school. I, I knew I wanted to go to college. That was kind of uh, part of the game plan. Um, uh, my father uh, wanted me to go see the Army recruiter and, and enlist in the Army. Um, and uh, that wasn't for me. I wanted to be a Marine officer. So I went, I went and saw the Marine, Marine recruiter and got enrolled in that particular program and, and went on to college in my hometown and graduated with a bachelor's degree in government and public service um, and then went on active duty right after that. But I'm the first Marine uh, in my family. And okay. since that, I have three sons 
two of whom are uh, marine officers. Wow. Okay. Like, what were some of the like some of the learnings? Are more more precisely like what sort of training did you have to undertake in order to officially one day become a marine corps officer? Like, was there anything in particular you had to pass? Like, what sort of things yes. did you have to overcome? Yes, the Marine Corps is uh, it, it's um, they're a physical outfit. Uh, that, that's the outfit you want to join if you uh, if you want to fight, right? And uh, yeah, that's uh, nobody does it better than uh, my beloved Marine Corps, and uh, um, it's very uh, physical. And there there is a physical fitness test, which the acronym for which is PFT. Uh, it consists of a three mile run um, that you have to do in 18 minutes uh, or less to get a hundred percent, 20 pull-ups to get a hundred percent and 80 sit-ups. I think they, they've recently changed. It, it was a hundred sit-ups in, in uh, two minutes. Well, that, that sit-up requirement is now no longer. And in January of 2020, I don't know if you saw the article or not, but the, uh, the Marine Corps has adopted the plank pose as an alternative okay. to sit up in the PFT protocol. It's a big, big step for the Marine Corps. But I had to prepare for that. I, so I started training uh, in college. I, was a, I ran a lot and uh, worked on the stuff that was going to get me past the uh, officer candidate school. Two six-week summers down in Quantico, Virginia, in between my sophomore and junior uh, and junior and senior year. Um, and, uh, and my kids went through the exact same thing. And um, it hasn't changed, um, but very arduous, um, a whole new experience for me. And I grew up quick. Uh, I really did. I can imagine, yeah. You and know, if you mind me interjecting there, like you've gone on to uh, achieve world records, as you've said, mm-hmm. but at such a early age, just finished your college um, degree. Was that really the first time you were made reach that? not so much the physical point, but that mental point. And I'd imagine those times during that training, whether it was through the running or early mornings, whatever, mm-hmm. was there ever times where you suddenly were just questioning yourself if you were made out to be a Marine or was it just such a strong, positive mindset that you always knew you'd reach the finish line at that early age? You know, uh, my Marine Corps uh, career, um, <laughs> Was uh, I, I? I wish I could. I could go back now and and um, do uh, do it all over again. I could probably do it a lot better. Um, I, I I probably wasn't as, as mature as I as I needed to be to be a you know uh, a fully successful you know marine officer. And because um, I look at what my kids are doing now, and they're much further ahead um, than I ever was. But you know what? I, I survived, and I I, I was uh, I enjoyed my time in the Marine Corps. Um, and just, uh, the brotherhood, uh, the, um, the, the physical training we did, um, tremendous experiences. I, it got me overseas uh, for the first time. And, um, uh, uh, so I, 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 I got a lot out of that. A lot of good experiences, a lot of different billets, a lot of different jobs. So, uh, the breadth of experience I got in the Marine Corps, um, uh, certainly no regrets there. Um, but I, okay. I know, I knew I was not going to make it a career, um, I, I got out uh, upon my uh, obligation uh, service, and um, and then went on from there. But it was it was just training. It was uh, I didn't get serious about mindset and uh, getting the job done and surviving until I really started getting getting into the record setting business, um, especially some of okay. the endurance work I did. Where the longer you go, the stronger you got to be, not just physically but mentally. So you're saying when back in the early days when you're doing your marine, marine training and it was more so youthful innocence and maybe ignorance that was driving you forward rather than the deep understanding you have now after years of training and years of understanding the especially the mental as long as well as the physical side of us. But that, we'll dive a bit into That's a good way to put it. That's a good way. That's a good analogy. That is. Um but we'll get we'll get into that in a bit more detail in uh later on in the show. But just the last thing I want to touch on, like post uh, marine career, you then became, as you mentioned, there a special agent for the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Uh-huh. And just for some of the listeners here, whether it's in the UK, like what sort of work 
um, or detail did you get into when you were working there? Because as you said, you retired in yeah. um, 2008. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So like what, what sort of work did you do as a special agent for them? Like what would your day-to-day um, consist of? I was a, I was a, a general criminal investigator, um, special agent type. Um, every agency has criminal investigators. Um, and um, I was a special agent uh, working in general crimes. I, uh, I, I tended to uh, migrate towards the, uh, the drugs, narcotic squad uh, work. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. Um, uh, I was good at it. And uh, I uh, worked a lot with informants and um, drug cases. And, and that, I found those to be rather uh, intriguing, uh, running operations, uh, trying to catch the bad guys, um, and uh, ultimately doing, doing some undercover work, um, some of which was you know, long-term. And then there was some short-term assignments I did. And then um, uh, getting back, I was, was in Hawaii initially, then I came back to California and uh, ran more stuff there. And uh, again, that was an experience, um, a lot of lessons learned, but um, certainly I was uh, on top of my game and uh, I, I excelled at that. And because um, it's, it's initiative work in, in the drug, mm. drug business, you don't, you don't have com- complaints. You know, most, most cases, criminal cases, you have a, uh, somebody makes a complaint, you go investigate it, right? Well, in the drug world, you, have, you rely on your initiative, their initiative cases, and um, you have to have informants in the right places who can get into people and, and make cases for you. Um, that's the big difference. And uh, I, yeah. I always enjoyed that. But uh, I, I, dangerous. And when you were doing... We, we, we did okay. <laughs> I could imagine. And when you were doing that work, was that situated in a certain state or area? Or did you move from city to city or was it based um, in one well, area? Yes, I was in, in Hawaii and then and in Southern California when I was attached to the San Diego office, um, which is at Camp Pendleton. And um, when I went to DEA, I was out of the Chicago office and I, I went to DEA to work uh, larger cases, um, inter- international cases. Um, and DEA afforded me that opportunity to do so uh, out of the Chicago field division uh, and here in Chicago, and that that got me from California to Chicago, and um, worked here and spent my whole career here. Uh, was fortunate to work cases internationally, where I got a lot of travel overseas to Europe, to Mexico, uh, Switzerland, uh, Greece. Uh, w- you know, we had a lot a lot of fun doing it, and um, but a lot of hard work, but. It wasn't all me. It was part of the task force. You know, we had yeah. customs agents, IRS agents working with us, the U.S. Attorney's Office. So th- those kind of teams, team building things, and you know, going after the bad guys was really what I enjoyed. And I'm sure there was a long list of them in that sort of work as well. It was they're never random. And they're still around. They they they're, they're still there. <laughs> exactly. So when you go on, you you retire as I said in 2008, and like once you find yourself outside of the world of investigation and having a consistent maybe worry or a consistent um objective by being in a job how like from that transition period to say when you started attempting to do these world records when you started getting into training quite intensely was there a period of rest was there a period of reflection as to what you wanted to achieve in your remaining years or was this a straightforward switch from the working world to, okay, let me start doing some things that can help raise money for charities and foundations and really um, test my body. I was on the job with NCIS um, doing an undercover operation. At the time I set my first uh, Guinness world record uh, for the rope skipping marathon. It was an event we did in Honolulu, Hawaii back in 1986 uh, at the YMCA. And uh, it was a fundraiser for the, uh, the Heart Association and the YMCA there in Honolulu. And we set, we set that record at 13 hours, 12 minutes, and 11 seconds. And um, that's when I started to get a taste for the endurance kind of stuff that I like doing. And um, I, did, I, I did that record despite having, you know, being in the middle of an undercover operation yeah, I'm, I'm still. I, I didn't care. Uh, you know, I, I don't know many 
bad guys that sit up and watch the news at night, so they they, they, they wouldn't know. Yeah. You know? Could have blown your cover yeah, as the really fit guy fine. just we, broke we, a world we were record. Fine. Yeah. We were fine. <laughs> but then I, then I took a hiatus for a little bit because I, you know, I, I was working and uh, it wasn't until I got to uh, Chicago and started training again um, on, a, on a stationary spin bike and set uh, proceeded to set three world records on a stationary spin bike. You know, the only guy to ever do that. And um, uh, most time on a, on a spin, spin bike. Right. And um, yeah, I, I did that towards the last, last, last year and a half or last two years or so of my time with DEA. And, um, and th- those were very successful fundraisers. And then I retired and pressed on from there and uh, con- just continued to just, just set world records, train and uh, look for the next big event, you know? So it was, it was a pretty seamless transition. It was more or less, as you said, you did a bit when you're still working. And then once you finished the work, it was like, right now I've got the, the freedom and the license to liberate myself and go and really actively challenge these things and get after them. And as, as you referred to there, a lot of these things that you've done have been to help raise awareness or to raise money for foundations or charities like, is that the sole reason you got into it and pursued it and motivated you? Or was there other reasons uh, too? Um, I like the, the word you used. Uh, I found it rather uh, liberating because um, I still think I'm haunted by my childhood experiences of nothing was ever good enough, right? Mm. And um, but, but trust me when I tell you, I have overcome that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, um, but I was convinced very early on um in 07 2007 when we uh, started setting those uh, spin cycling records uh in two, two in 2007 and uh, one in uh 2008 right, right before i went to afghanistan and um the uh um putting the time into those was uh, a, a, a real commitment uh, it was then that i i, I realized I, I wasn't going to do those events just to do a physical uh, event and make it the George Hood show. No, it, it was about, I was adamant that all my events going forward would be um, to, to raise awareness and to raise money for a charity. Now that becomes a little bit more of a burden in terms of the work involved to put that, that uh, charity piece together um, and hope that your, 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 your event will raise awareness, draw attention to the cause so that people will come and witness, you know, hopefully a, a world record event and then, and donate um, in support of the cause. Uh, I'm doing my part, right? Um, yeah. You know, so that that um, that gives my events a heart, and um, and I like that. Uh, I like being attached to various charities, um, mostly law enforcement or military type organizations, or who I tend to gravitate to that I I can do this for, and um, and, and we do okay. We're a grassroots operation. Um, we've now blossomed into what's known as team hood that's that's the brand that um when i go to town or when i go to an event or to, to do something it, it's the team hood organization that steps up and supports me at the platform and helps me on all fronts to pull it off and help it uh you know be successful but the fundraising is is that's got to be that's got to be part of the mix so i suppose with the the main attraction being the world records and as a as I mentioned there, you, you have the world record for the longest plank I uh, being held at over 10 hours. And I must congratulate you personally for having that. I could only dream of doing two minutes, let alone 10 hours. But like, how, how does one even begin to think about doing such a feat and also preparing? So like, do you have to change your body composition? Does your diet have to completely change? Do you want to be completely stocked up with food and hydrated? Do you want to lose loads of weight? Do you want less water weight? How does the whole thing work from a few weeks, well, few me, months me, uh, preparation? Let me just uh, just give you some background on, on the plank. The, the, the plank category, um, I, it was back in 2010. Um, I, I was curious if there was a category for the plank because I was trying the plank as part of my own fitness program. And um, I wondered if, uh, if there was a category for it. And while the closest Guinness World Records would come to the plank was the push-up. Well, I wasn't about to do that record yet anyway. But um, 
the uh, the plank. I, I had a client of mine actually at the club say, "Hey, not for nothing, but the, there, there's a new uh, Guinness World Record for the plank." I said, "Oh, seriously?" So we looked it up, and um, as a point of reference, the the first Guinness World Record for the plank was set by a guy in the UK, uh, pretty close to my age. Uh, I think I'm certain he was uh, at the time, and um, 19 minutes and 58 seconds was the first Guinness okay. World Record for the plank. He wanted 20 minutes, but he dropped with two seconds to spare. And um, he was raising money, as I, as I recall, uh, for the Cancer Society. Um, and tremendous respect for that, that, that gentleman. And um, when I saw that, I said, well, okay, now, now I can train for this. And it, the training is simple, quite frankly, uh, aside from not getting into various specific programs and so forth, you, you have to yeah. do the plank, okay? <laughs> you have to start doing it um, and, and extend your time. So um, in uh, 2000, and that was in the late December 2010 is when that first plank record was set. So uh, in 2011, I started training and, and doing the plank and, um, and liking it and watching my body go through changes and, and learning some of the, the, the muscles that were being used that I've never used before. And I went through all the growing pains. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have, I didn't have, I didn't have a trainer. I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of supporters uh, that were with me going through my stuff and my ordeal. My first plank when I laid it down at the club was five minutes. I remember shaking just like everybody else does, right? Mm. And um, cramps in the stomach and all that, all that good stuff. Um, so then I started that, I started working up from that and, um, uh, went ahead in that, in, in 20, 2011, uh, December, 2011, I, I had a window of opportunity where I decided to go ahead and set, uh, the Guinness world record, uh, for the plank at one hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we did it right here in Naperville, Illinois. And, um, the adjudicator was on site. And um, it was uh, Philip Robertson was his name. Good guy. And uh, all, all those adjudicators at, at Guinness World Records are uh, good people, at least the ones that have showed up at my, my events, because uh, they see the hard work that goes into them, and they have tremendous respect for not just the athleticism, but the fact of the, the support crew that, that, that comes around to make these events possible. And um, uh, But one hour and 20 minutes – was the record and that that went viral and that that formed the basis of things that were about to come uh down the road with regard to the plank and it just got mm, bigger so like, and better yeah so the bit of momentum was created yeah. by suddenly 20 minutes seeming impressive and then oh someone's done over an hour yep. And then people are thinking, how far can we stretch this? And probably little did they know it'd be 10 times the amount. But yeah, was it there? And then you were thinking, okay, I can guess five hours. I can get 10 hours. Or were you thinking, oh, maybe I could squeeze another 10 minutes out of that? No. Um, like, in other words, like, how, how did you, Well, you, like, what was your mindset? Now, now you're starting to talk about setting goals, you know? And mm. um, so the next opportunity came along in, um, what, 2013. Um, I had an opportunity to raise money for the, uh, again, the heart association down in, um, in, uh, near Cincinnati there. Uh, and, um, we again had the adjudicator come out on site and we set the record at what, three hours and seven minutes and change, something like that. Three Oh seven. And, um, we had it certified on site, and uh, now that I damn near doubled what I did in you know 2011, and so this this idea of goal setting was now linked to training, um, and how much training you put in determines what goals are realistic and what goals are achievable. And um, I, I coach a lot of people on that, that specific topic now. You know, you can't – you're only capable of so much, and your training will dictate um, where you'll end up uh, as for what, what can be a realistic goal to achieve. So, mm -hmm. I, I'm Sorry to inter interrupt you there. Mm -hmm. Like you, 
you just touched on it briefly there saying like your approach to training and there's only so much your body can achieve but loads of people tend to suggest that when the going gets tough or however you want to phrase it that the average person would quit at only about 30 40 percent of their actual potential or their actual maximum efforts you're right so like you you enabled your body to go above and beyond what is considered normal by so many normal people. Yes. And how how did you create that within your body? But then also, I'm sure there was mental barriers that you had to overcome time and time again. Yes, it was the uh, it, it all goes back to training, and so you have to start setting up your sets and your training program and start uh, doing more plank time. I refer to it as keeping track of your set counts and putting the time in. And then um, the more long planks you do, like the 120, then the 307, um, you start to come up with what I refer to as margins. That should I do another event based on what I've done in the past, this is what I could realistically expect to achieve. And um, so I would press on. And uh, as a result of the 307 record, uh, I had an opportunity to go to China in 2014 um, to participate over there and set the world record um, at an event sponsored by Men's Health in China. And that would, that would be the first of two trips I would ultimately take to China and showcase the plank. Um, and so we decided to go to China in 2014, and we set the new world record there four hours and one minute. And... Um, that's when I realized that there, this was going to be my training regimen. This is what I was going to continue to do. That plank record in China, that changed that country. That got China planking. That record, <laughs> that record brought the plank mainstream. There was an article yeah. written uh, by the Wall Street Journal by a reporter in Beijing um, who made the comment. The headline read, Marine, Marine Veteran teaches Beijing how to plank. That's exactly what I did. Think about mm. that. That plank changed that country in terms of how they view the plank. It's now, now it's no longer, it still is a yoga pose, but now it's bigger and better. And now people are seeing it as a functional fitness pose. Um, and it's gone mainstream. And it's, that all started in 2014. Like when you say there, like they even viewed as like a yoga, a yoga exercise. Is there, did you find along the way? And as you said, you set so many records in different times that gradually were going up the ladder in regards to length mm -hmm. and how impressive they ended up being. Was there any failed attempts? Was there any times where there was a bit of hype built up of saying, oh yeah, yeah George is going to, it's going to beat his old record and you turned up, you started the plank, and after maybe 30 minutes, you're like, hang on, this doesn't feel good at all, and this could end in no, five minutes and up, ultimately uh, ended in failure. You bring up a memory. Uh, yes, I, I've, had that I've, had, I've, <laughs> well, I've had that experience. I'm going to share it with you because it's, uh, I, don't, I don't often get a chance to do this uh, at, on this forum, but um, uh, not with the plank. However, on the stationary spin bike, uh, I made I had – um, five attempts on the stationary spin bike record. I was only successful on three. Um, the one ride we did when, when I came back from Afghanistan in 09, I trained up for an event we did in the spring of 2010. It was a fundraiser for United Way. It was being promoted as uh, Hood's going to set the 300-hour spin bike record. Um, the previous, the current record was like 200 hours, I believe, at the time. It was way, way overrated. I went in there way too cocky, way, way overconfident. Um, training didn't match what I was capable of. Um, the whole endurance work um, that I thought I was doing correctly, I was not, especially from a nutritional standpoint and, and, a, and, and staying fueled properly. And I refer to that, that event as the failed ride because we didn't make it. I crashed at about mm. the, oh, about 100 and 100 and 175 hour mark, something like that. And, um, total shutdown, total meltdown. And, um, it was, uh, a lesson learned that, uh, I'm uh, very proud of, 
we didn't make it. So <laughs> we had to call Guinness World Records and tell them not to send the adjudicator out. And uh, we, uh, it was what I refer to as the failed ride. Um, the crew that was there, I thanked them all for helping me to, to fail. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad yeah. way. I, th that needed to happen. And uh, there was a magical moment that happened that night when it happened at about three o'clock in the morning when we knew the end was near. And I, could, I was on the bike. I stood up on the bike. Um, I, I could see people's mouths moving. I couldn't hear a thing. Uh, everything was silent. And I recall having this conversation. You can believe what you want to believe, but I believe in a higher power that's far greater than George Hood. And this conversation mm. I had was put to me in such a way that, okay, hotshot, this event is over. You're done. If you continue, you're not going to go home. And you're going to come home to me. So I got the message real quick and I sat back down on the bike and it was over. The technical reason that the event was called and, and uh, stopped was because I didn't make the required uh, 12 miles in, in the hour that I needed to get uh, each and every hour on that stationary spin bike. Um, so the event was over. And I remember being taken off the bike. Uh, everybody, of course, goes away. And then that morning, at about oh, 6, 6 a.m., everybody, that, some of the diehard crew types are still there, uh, you know, making sure I'm okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm basically resting and recovering, waking up. And um, mostly everybody at that hour, we know who's at the venue. We know who, who everybody is. Let me tell you a story. There, there, there was a gentleman that walked in to the venue uh, wearing a dark colored uh, a trench coat, you know, overcoat and, yeah. and, a, and, and a hat carrying a, uh, a white cup of, of, uh, of what turned out to be coffee. He's walking in and um, I looked up at him and being in law enforcement, I'm, I'm quick to know if somebody's, you know, friendly or not friendly. Right. And um, yeah, exactly. so this, this gentleman seemed friendly and uh, uh, everybody's kind of looking around and no, nobody knew who he was. Um, he walks in uh, and he makes eye contact with me as I'm sitting there on the edge of this mattress that I was crashed on. And, um, he looks at me with this warm smile, sets the cup down and, uh, looks at me directly in the eye and he, and he winks and he, uh, makes the comment, uh, it's okay. I just came by to make sure, uh, everybody was okay. And that's when he winked at me and, um, he turned around and, and was gone, literally <laughs> gone. To this day, Richie, no, I, nobody knows who that gentleman was. I have no idea. I wish I knew because I believe that that was a messenger sent down from above to truly make sure that I had learned my lesson and that I was, in fact, okay. Wow. Life changer. Life changer for me going forward. That brought the faith component that's a part of my events um, home to me. Now it's real. You don't do anything on that platform. You don't do anything extraordinary if you don't believe in a higher power greater than you that facilitates your success. You understand? Mm. No, I completely got and you. A lot of, that that has enabled me to survive. And I've been setting, what, 12 world records now? And so long as I believe that I'm serving a greater good because of the gifts that I've been blessed with to do this stuff, then I'm good. I'm real good. And I will be successful yeah. each and every time. But I know, I know yeah. where that energy and, that, and that, that gift, those gifts come from. And to that extent, I have been successful. And that's what I impart to others. But that story, when I, you can hear a pin drop when I lecture and I, I share that story in a, in a room. Um, it's very true. Yeah. Well, no, I listen. I had to listen to every single word. I yeah. You had me, um, had me thoroughly engaged. And as you said, it was, it was ultimately a profound experience well, that, that came from ultimately a, a failure and a massive moment in your life that upon reflection became a success in one way, if you look at it yes. that way. And like taking that forward to your most recent accomplishment and world record where 
you set the record for the longest plank ever. When you achieved that, when got over the 10-hour mark, when you completed that, was like, I haven't heard anything since. Are you thinking, let's try better this again? Are you looking at that record going, well, okay, I can... I can sit back and enjoy uh, enjoy proper retirement, well, so to speak. That that was a great fundraiser for the YMCA, and that that was the, the plank record was just the first set. I, I created a new category. See, when you're in the record setting business, you start getting creative, so you, you, you come up with categories. And I created what the 24 hour marathon category. Um, the objective being to see how much plank time a human being can accumulate in 24 hours. So, and the the, the marathon rules. Um, are uh, as put forth by Guinness. You're allowed to take as many breaks as you want, but the clock keeps ticking. So we made, we decided, the crew and I talked, we decided that we were going to let set number one be the new plank record. We would surpass the 9-11-01 record that I set on the USS Midway in San Diego in 2016, a very memorable event for all the right reasons. Um, we would surpass that and set the new world record at 10-10-10 then take our first break. And I went ahead and did that and did an additional 12 sets for a total of 13 uh, to set the new world record for the most plank time ever achieved by a human being in 24 hours at 18 hours, 10 minutes, and 10 seconds, uh, spread out over 13 sets. So you can do the math. You can figure out how many, how much plank time I was accumulating, you know, per hour and so forth. You can crunch those numbers, but that I don't know if I want to. <laughs> that was a heck of an event um, to go through the night. That's the first time I'd exper- I had experienced nighttime. Um, yeah. Uh, since the spin bike rides, you know, where I would go for a week at a time, you know, sleep deprivation. Um, and uh, the thing about endurance work is when you go day after day uh, without sleep and you're putting up with all that, um, the situation doesn't get better. It gets progressively worse the longer you go. Yeah. Uh, so I was used to that. My body had been trained to be up. It knew what it was like to be up through the night. So I going into this particular record for 24 hours, I can do this. Sure, I can. Um, I've been there. And um, with the crew that was there, um, we didn't have a crowd at 2 o'clock in the morning. Not many people were going to come and watch, you know, come to the YMCA and watch a, watch a pl- guy plank. You know, yeah. um, but the crew stayed and I'm forever grateful for them um, and for uh, their significant others, husbands and wives and so forth, who, who facilitated them being able to come to the Y uh, and stay with me through the night. My executive director uh, at the time, Eric Knowles, former Navy SEAL uh, guy, um, he uh, he was there through the night, you know, led from the front, led by example, stayed through the night with me and a couple other folks that were there. And um, I tell you, that helped one set after the other. Uh, the agony of it all, the pain in the elbows, my elbows were all torn up. Um, it was quite the ordeal. But um, two world records in 24 hours it hasn't been done before until I did it. But we did it for all the right reasons, raising money for the Urban Warriors program, uh, inspiring the world, inspiring those kids, uh, inspiring the YMCA. Because they've never done that before. That YMCA has never hosted a Guinness World Record or a World Record attempt like that before, ever. So we made history. And I'm very proud of that. I was their fitness director at the time. So that was my way of raising awareness to health and wellness, uh, which is one of our core values at the Y, um, and uh, spreading the good word. And again, raising attention and drawing attention to the value of the plank pose. And that event got the attention of uh, producers at ABC who subsequently uh, uh, brought me on the show uh, to tell the truth. That show just aired about two weeks ago (laughs) here in the United States um, across the country and um, all because of the plank. They uh, had to figure out who was the uh, new international world record holder for the plank. And uh, what what an experience. that event has just opened up so many doors for me. And um, it uh, also got me back in touch with uh, the, the Canadian, Donna Glavatska, uh, who had been training with the plank and um, now was going to take it seriously. She had applied to Guinness World Records to set the female record for the plank. And she was serious, committed, 
she trains like no other. Uh, so I mentored her along the way and I knew she was capable, always believed she was capable. Um, and, and when, when you say capable, so this was one of the first, or well, since she went on to set the record, yeah. like how, how do you know when you're looking to say Dana, for example, that you were like, okay, she has got the physical and mental attributes required for her to go to these, these boundaries, these mental barriers and overcome them. Mm-hmm. And to follow up on that kind of question, like what, what technically or what aspects of her training did you help her uh, while preparing for the record attempt? Well, I, she found me, uh, her son four years ago, uh, when I did the, the record, the five fifteen fifteen record out in California, uh, um, a huge fundraiser for the, the Marine Corps. But, um, she found me after that. And, um, her first plank, I think at that she had been planking before that, you know, before she met me. But, uh, when she reached out to me, she, uh, had done a 25 minute plank challenge at her complex with some friends of hers. And, um, that, that was my first clue. Um, okay. She's got something documented and she, and she taped it. She, she videoed it. So the, the proof was there, you know, a lot of people tell me they do a lot of this or that, but if I don't see the tape, you know, <laughs> like in law enforcement, we say, if it's not written down, it never happened, you know? Yeah. So that, that was the first clue that I, I realized she might be capable. Um, she became a part of team hood as one of my cognitive coaches, helping me with my mental conditioning and mental, mental thought process as I, as I would get into these things. Um, uh, she was capable of, uh, she, she ended up, I went to Montreal, uh, in the fall of, uh, what was it, uh, for 2015, and uh, got her through an hour plank. Um, and then she was a little over an hour. And she, but she she kept moving the bar forward. So she was showing results. Yeah. And she was training to get those results. So from a coaching standpoint, I, I look for that. It's not just talk. Now she's starting to walk the walk. You understand? And Yeah. That's that. That means a lot. Very, very few people can do both of those things at the same time. <laughs> a lot of people talk, but many do yeah. not walk. <laughs> you understand? And and I call them out on that, uh, and they pretty much just leave me alone. And that that's fair. <laughs> so, but Donna, yeah, she she was in the game. She was committed, and after that June event, she got uh, more committed. And um, her yoga practice that she is involved in, she is so disciplined. Uh, she trains like a Marine, um, so I can respect that. And um, she knows how it is to work hard, uh, treat the body with respect, feed it well nutritionally and, and mentally, and you, you get results. And, and she did just that. And um, I spent better part of eight months with her preparing her for the, the event she just did here in May. Um, where she set the world record uh, for the women and um, got her through all her long planks. They're all required. You have to go through them. It's just like training for a marathon. You've got to do those long runs, right? you got to do the same thing with the yeah. plank. You've got to put your time down on the mat. So I helped her with that, you know. And um, just like I had my crew surrounding me, I, I, I was her crew. I stayed there with her, and sometimes her son would join us, and I got her through her long ordeals. Um, so I knew she was then prepared and she was ready. That is the definition of being capable. And then she delivered that package, uh, on May 18th here in Naperville, Illinois with a time of four hours and 20 minutes. Once she broke the record yep. and you were saying there with regards to her training and always meeting, meeting so much her goals and maybe your expectations, but is there any kind of insights you can give with regards, like, did you have to tell her you need to eat this and that did she need to lose or put on weight did she need to start consuming more or less water like what are some of the like because no average person can just go okay i'm just going to start training and become a plank expert is there huge is there serious adjustments you have to make no she was cut out for because she she does yoga she's an accomplished yoga uh enthusiast um she has a, a teacher certification for uh one form of yoga that she does. And so she, she knows what it's like to, you know, to train, uh, and prepare. Yeah. So but her diet, 
she's uh, she's vegan. She has transitioned to the vegan diet uh, as of now, uh, and um, and it works well for her. Uh, the advice I gave her was continue to you know you stay hydrated. You take uh, there are certain supplements you can take to facilitate you know strength uh, for the muscles. Things you can feed the muscles. It's all over the counter stuff that you could buy at your local vitamin shop. Um, and uh, you make the, that combination of stuff work for you. And she did. And she did. And th- those choices you make in that regard with what you feed your body to facilitate your success, th- those are personal things. Um, yeah. but, you, but she, she did well in that regard. Uh, so she knew exactly what to do. I was just there to help her train and, and get, get through her long planks, her long ordeals. You were saying that you were off encouragement. And when you were telling me, the story about when you personally did it, that the encouragement you got was absolutely pivotal in your success at accom- and accomplishing the uh, overall records. Like where, like does your mind drift off in say a 10 hour plank? Is there times where you are ready to quit? Are you fully tunnel vision? Do you watch YouTube videos? Like how does one get through the several hours of um, a plank? Well, now you're talking about mindset. Now you're going to, you go to getting into an area that when you start going as long as uh, I do and, and what Donna has done, is, as, as she is now starting to, to appreciate uh, and certainly respect, the mindset necessary uh, to do this kind of endurance work, especially, Richie, when you're in a, you're in a, uh, a static pose. You're not moving around. It's not like exactly, you're running a 24-hour yeah. marathon because where the scenery changes around every, every corner. You've got people moving, you know, running and passing you and like in a race, right? You're you're on your own. You're you're literally by yourself, um, absent the, the crew that's there to support you. You know, uh, logistically and, and, uh, and cognitively. Um, but you have to have the right attitude and um, to do that stuff. So that what tools you use to do that? Uh, uh, for me, it's music. Distraction is the key. Um. And there are tricks that we use to, to do that. Um, I, I have what I refer to as my gallery in my mind's eye. And um, there are three things that facilitate one's mindset when it comes to endurance work. The first one is I am taking stock of who you are. I feel, which speaks to you know you can do this but you're going to need help cognitively, mentally. And the third component is I see. My mind's eye puts me where I need to be. And brother, I'm telling you, that stuff works. There's things in my mind's eye I refer to as my gallery. There are some wonderful paintings in there. I can never sell them. They're always on display, but I'm the only one that can look at them. I can tell you what's in them. And what they're about, but they won't make sense to the layperson. You see, mm. and um, and I'm entitled to that. I I soak in a lot of stuff, a lot of st- stimuli. I capture in my contact with people, my crew. I grab everything and I store it up in that mind's eye, so that when I get under duress, I don't want to give up. I I rely on my mind's eye. My my mind's eye shows me the successes I've had in the past, and it puts me in pleasant places. It gives me nice thoughts of people who have been nice to me. Um, and um, those things I enjoy. And it works for me. And before you know it, <laughs> an hour or two has gone by. Uh, how many times have you been in a grocery store? You run into a friend of yours. You sit there and you, you stand there and you start talking to, you, to each other. And, you know, then one of you looks at your watch and says, oh, my goodness, where has the time gone? Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about now I, 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 I need hours to go by. And, and with Donna, it's the same thing. She gets distracted. She has her tricks. And you can, you can talk to her about what those are. She's entitled to those. And she can share those with you. But it, it's all about distraction. And for me, okay. it's a huge cognitive experience that I go through. Uh, um, on the spin bike, it was hallucinatory to some extent. I still remember some of those experiences to this day. But when you're in the plank pose <laughs> and you're just looking, you're, you're being fueled by music, uh, which I have a, a YouTube uh, playlist. I have a channel on YouTube 
If you want to know what Hood listens to, there are thousands of songs on there in playlists that you can look at um, and use as you wish, because all those playlists that are on there have had one uh, have had a role in my success, either with the plank or the stationary spin bike. Mostly, mostly the plank. Okay. So when you first of all with the the playlist, I'd imagine it's quite substantial, maybe over ten hours long. The only time I'm probably ever going to be stationary for over 10 hours is when I'm on an outrageously long flight as opposed to maybe doing a plank for 10 plus hours. But you mentioned there all about mindset and being able to put yourself into like a, a place where time doesn't even matter. Doesn't. You're just completely distracted, as you say. And that, that kind of leads. Oh, yeah. And if you, don't, if you don't have that mental conditioning, Richie, what happens is you're going to die. My Marines in combat, when they train, they train to fight. They train to win. Okay, when I go into the plank pose, I'm there to win. It's a battle I have with myself. They have to overcome Yes, and, and you have to believe that you're going to win, and you do. And, it, I, I, you know, uh, Marines on the battlefield, just like we on the battlefield of life, um, we don't give up. And unfortunately, a lot of people out there, it gets too hard. They don't have the time or they make excuses. And that's okay. I can respect that. And I have my critics that will tell me, you know, uh, it's not healthy to plank for 10 hours. No, it probably is not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> there, are, there are people that just walked across a tightrope in New York City the other night you know, um, for the first time. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's what you choose to do. Um, but when you're yeah. raising money for a worthwhile charity and you're raising awareness to a pose that, that I've, I've since made famous – um, it puts it all in the right, right perspective, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, but that mindset that you, it's got to be strong. It's got to be strong. And Donna's is very strong. Is there any attribute you can pinpoint to enabling someone having such a strong mindset like that? Is it consistency? Is this, I don't know, like re- repetition? Like yeah. what, like, is there any, secret ingredient to be able to have that mindset unlike the majority of people that when the going gets tough they think about quitting and then when it gets really tough they quit like is there any way to a lot of mindset is vested in how you were raised that's the i am part of the equation you know uh what experiences do you have growing up that 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 made you survive perhaps you came from an abusive family uh, or abusive parent um but you survived right so what did you do to make that happen? Um, maybe uh, one of your uh, parents was an alcoholic um, or uh, was into drugs, but you, you were not. You, you chose a different path. And um, so what did you do to make that happen? And you survived. Um, and maybe one sibling of yours didn't, and they went the other way. Um, so what made you different? You know, that, what, what was in your head? That, those are questions you have to ask those people. It's very personal. But you build that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes time in the fitness industry for, to do endurance work, you tap on those experiences. You know, And, um, and part of it is just what we call mental conditioning. You train the mind to survive just like you train the body to survive. Uh, combat, um, uh, fighting, and anything. You, you, you train the mind to facilitate you sustaining the plank so that you win it's a process and that's why Mm. people hire guys like me to help them get through something like that yeah and your results speak for themselves i suppose and one of the last things i would like to ask you about and we slightly talked about this off air is that you now do lectures and the topic is mindset matters and i know we've we've delved into a bit of technicalities surrounding that topic but like throughout those lectures is there a few sort of topics or steps that you look to get across to the people attending them or is it just based around one subject or one certain element of your mindset no that that mindset matters it's uh and it does matter it, it, not just with athletes but it matters in, in our role as uh um sales people um um fitness directors uh, it, m- mindset is your uh, your mental ability to get done what you what you commit yourself to do, and um, that, that that's what it's about. So I tell people, um, or I try to impart to them that 
Everybody is capable. You just have to will it to be so. And not get caught up in the uh, in, in making excuses um, for yourself or for your company or for your, your results. Um, it's, it's, uh, it goes back to the it's a very intricate process, but it goes back to taking stock of yourself. I am, I feel, and I see myself being successful. That, that, those are the three real points that I touched on at the conference um, and uh, was certainly applicable to Donna. And she helped me learn that stuff. I mean, she, she teaches me some of that stuff. Mm. And it's all vested in the, in the yoga culture. But um, it makes sense. It makes practical sense uh, in life if you apply those principles. So when I speak to people, I, because I, you can't make it too complicated or else they'll get, they won't understand that it'll be too much to handle. So I keep it very simple and give them just those three tidbits to start with. And it's been successful because it, it, people really want to hear. Because I get asked all the time, well, what do you think about? Well, <laughs> you really want to know? You know, it might ruin your day. But, you know, mm. I get asked that a lot. So I'm starting to delve into that now a little bit more. But it's really a, it's, it's a personal thing for me. Um, there's some experiences in there that I'd rather not remember, but they're in my mind's eye for a reason. And, uh, again, they all facilitate the fuel that I need to survive uh, a long ordeal, whether it be the plank, the wall squat, whatever I decide to do next. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and on that topic, George, is there <laughs> looking forward, because uh, everything we've talked about is – and just like everything, it's it's in it's in the past. Is there any objectives? Is there any goals you have immediate or long term that you have in the next few years? Is there any records you want to assess? Yes. Or have you thought that far that yes. so far? We have something in the works uh, now. Um, the uh, I, I gave you a hint earlier that the Marine Corps has adopted the plank pose as to as, yeah. as a uh, alternative to the. Uh, sit-up requirement in their personal fitness uh, test protocol. I want to help them celebrate that. That takes effect in January of 2020. I'd like to help them uh, celebrate that moment uh, and partner perhaps uh, with uh, the YMCA again uh, to uh, help me make that happen, to draw attention to that and at the same time raise money for the organization um, that provides those kind of fitness, health and wellness services to, to our service members, not just Marines, but all, all service members. And if that's the YMCA, boy, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, that'd be fantastic. So I always have my eye on something because I'm not done yet. And you, yeah. to correct you with the, with the age thing, now it's probably appropriate because age is just a number anyway. I'm 61 and a half and I'm proud of it. Okay. And uh, I was born in 1957. Um, but uh this guy isn't done yet, and um, I love sharing my experiences with people like you and uh, and Donna, and, and, and certainly Donna is the one that uh, made good on what I do, and she did it. She's now somebody that can finally do yeah. what I do. Which is an inspiring Absolutely. tale within itself. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, George, that's, that's more or less the main bulk of the podcast, and traditionally, I finish with a few quick-fire questions, so... Okay. If we can just spew them out, um, I'll leave you on your bee and let you enjoy the rest of the evening. Okay. So, um, yeah, just to get started, what is your favorite film of all time? Oh, boy, probably um, probably the, the one that comes to mind right now is the uh, the one with uh, um, Al Pacino. Uh, um, well, I'll give you, you know, several, but the, the movie Blow uh, was a good one. Blow? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the favorite book you've ever read? Probably the book I read recently about the um, – God, I can't remember the title slipped my mind. It's been a while since I've read a book. Every time I start reading a book, I get frustrated because I fall asleep. And I lose the page. I, <laughs> I do. I, you know, um, but I, I used to be a big Danielle Steele fan back in the day. And uh, the first book I ever read of hers, uh, Coming Home. I remember to this day. Okay. What is the best advice you have ever received? You can do anything you want. Just 
do. Okay. What is your biggest fear? Some people say spiders. Some people say death. It's completely the individual's choice. My biggest fear is perhaps letting letting someone down that I uh, when I thought I could I could do right by them, whether that be the, an individual or an organization. Um, I uh, that's that's my biggest fear. I, I I always want to be successful. I don't I don't like to fail okay. for the wrong reasons. Mm. So second last one, what is your go-to workout song? Wild Side by Motley Crue. Okay. And last but not least, sum yourself up in three words. Honest, sincere, passionate. Well, well said, George. So listen, that con- that concludes the podcast. Uh, George, I just want to thank you for getting really detailed and being very open and honest and candid about everything you've experienced up until now and even giving us some insights and what you hope to achieve in the in the distant and not so distant future as well i'll keep you in the loop so, I, I i will do that absolutely yeah you're a you're a you're a friend richie I, i'm i uh, appreciate you sharing the good word and uh, no 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 worries at all and for anyone who's interested in George's work, I'll attach below the podcast. There'll be links to um, his social media pages and along with some of his website and other work. Yeah, so the, for the, anyone interested yeah, in what they've just heard. Facebook are probably the best ways to dial into what I've been up to other than your own Google search. But uh, uh, if you can do that for me, that, I'd, uh, that would certainly be appreciated. But um, George, listen, thanks a million for coming on. And listen, I wish you all the best with your future endeavors. Richie. You're the best. I, I appreciate you, you, you reaching out to me and, and, and setting this up. It was a real pleasure to chat with you and share my story. Thank you for that. I appreciate it.